0: I have a, what I think is a funny story to start off with. You all can judge it for what it is. When my wife and I, Kelsey, when we were engaged, we obviously owned nothing. Looking back, we also knew nothing, but we didn't know that at the time. So when my wife's home church uh, at the time, they said they wanted to throw us a wedding shower. We were so excited. And so you may be familiar with wedding showers, baby showers, and things like that. Well, at that point in life, we had never been a, really a part of one. So, you know, we go to Target with our big registry gun and we start like walking around. And uh, she was very responsible with the items that she put on the registry because she knew what should go on the registry. I did not. And so I just kind of put down any sort of thing that I thought I would enjoy. Uh, she wisely scanned things to start a life together. And I needed a new pair of running shoes and why not a a new Xbox and and things like that. So the day of the wedding shower comes, I I kid a little bit, but not much. Uh, So the day of the wedding shower comes, I was kind of surprised that we unwrapped most things she put on the registry and nothing that I put on the registry. I I was very surprised. Also at the wedding shower, I was equally surprised to find out that the shower was for women only. And yet there I was, smiling through the whole thing. Uh, I, re- I remember this shower vividly because a couple of women had written my wife personal notes and, and, and very emotional, very uh, deep and impactful sort of, sort of words were spoken over her. And, and they had a chair for her and not for me. And I was just kind of off to the side and, and on multiple occasions as they're sharing these like heartfelt notes with her, it was just kind of funny to hear. And uh, we, we just bless you and pray for you, Kelsey and Kevin, you know, like, like you're the afterthought in that case. Um, not my finest wedding shower, but back to the main point, sorry, I just kind of get on these little tangents. What I put on the registry, back to those gifts, what I put on the registry I thought was fine and I thought was good. Honestly, I thought they were great. But none of the ladies that day thought so. And honestly, with hindsight, I realized I completely misunderstood the concept because that day was not about new TVs, uh, new speakers or running shoes. I actually didn't understand the gifts are meant to help you start and build the life that you need to. But the gifts were given And some, honestly, we still have, and it's been almost 10 years, 10 years of these gifts that have fed us and nourished us and helped us cultivate a healthy marriage and and a healthy home. And so I look back on that wedding shower in particular with great gratitude. And so this does remind me of the fruit of the Spirit because I think we can often misunderstand or not appreciate the gifts that God gives to us similarly. Because the fruit of the Spirit is like very real gifts that God gives to us that we are then to use to cultivate a life with God. We grow in these gifts, and we appreciate them more and more as time goes on. And so I have definitely enjoyed our time together with these fruits of the Spirit. And today I'm excited to spend some time with our next one. Galatians 5, you should see this on the screen. Verse 22. Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit, and you've probably got these memorized by now because you're good, you know, Christians, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and today we are at faithfulness. Now, you can kind of cheat and see there are only a couple more, so that should tell you about how much longer we're going to be in the series, too, okay? Faithfulness, though, is today. Faithfulness is very unique because it is usually taken for granted until it is broken, a friend of yours breaks a deeply personal confidence. A coworker fails to come through on a work agreement. A family member breaks your heart with devastating secrecy. Your spouse maybe breaks your heart with a, with a breaking of the marriage covenant. And so suddenly, we are left kind of bleeding and broken. And we're asking, like, how could they hurt us in this way? We recognize faithfulness really matters when we don't have it or when it's been broken. Have you ever heard the phrase a fair weathered friend? Like like when things are going well, they are there with you. They're there caring for you. But once things gets a little hard or it gets a little difficult, all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found or they're distant. That's faithfulness being broken, and so little by little, the breakdown in faithfulness, it leads to to completely disintegrated trust, and we begin to guard our inner thoughts from others. We kind of become an island onto ourselves. We protect our hurt heart at all costs. We are certainly wary of the people that God has put in our lives as friends and loved ones, and still, it gets worse because when we don't trust the people around us, our trust in God's goodness then also fades. The security we have in a faithful God, it begins to wither because we see him in the images of people who were not, uh, who, who were not faithful. And then our mistrust in the faithfulness of others and God leads us to excusing ourselves to being unfaithful if no one else is faithful, why should I bother? And so if we are being honest, I think many of us know what a lack of faithfulness feels like. It hurts, and it has implications that will then touch every other area of your life. You can't just compartmentalize it so easily because it touches everything. Now, If you know me at all, I I don't like starting sermons in the negative. This is pretty negative at this point, right? Like, like, man, this is a lot to kind of bear. But unfortunately, this is the most common way I think you understand faithfulness is when it is actually broken. Because when it's good, you don't really think about it. But uh, deep breath now. Come on, deep breath. Let's shift gears a little bit, okay? Because if that's what faithfulness feels like, When it's broken, what does faithfulness look like when it's lived out? Here is Pastor Tim Keller. I got a partial quote for you right here. But Tim Keller says, faithfulness is loyalty and courage. And I think it's a great equation. If if you're the note taker, there I think is the first point. Loyalty plus courage is faithfulness. But Tim says, faithfulness is loyalty and courage. To be principle driven, committed, Utterly reliable, true to one's word. And I completely and totally agree that this is what faithfulness is. It is a loyalty plus courage. And I can say this week, sitting in a little coffee shop in North Carolina at the Vineyard Conference, writing this sermon, I can say with with all sincerity and and great confidence, so many of you came to mind. And, And it was... I thought I'm living the pastor's dream is what I'm doing because I think I've been part of different churches and different movements or I have some great pastor friends who I think wouldn't be able to sit there and to think of the many people who show up day in, day out. They're present, they're committed, they're loyal. They are honest, so they will tell you when things are off and I appreciate that, but they're consistent. And I thought of so many of you, so many of your faces, so many people who are serving right now. And I thought, what a gift, because this church is overflowing with faithful people. That's nothing that I have done or Pastor Jacob has done or anyone else. This is obviously the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And so thank you for making me smile. Thank you for making me uh, grateful this week, uh, because you all are certainly loyal. You are courageous. Uh, Now, this Tim Keller quote, it does go on, not to be negative again, but I think it's another important perspective to understand this quote by Tim. Then says, the opposite of faithfulness is being opportunistic, a fair weather friend. Counterfeit faithfulness is love without truth. It is prizing loyalty, and avoiding conflict when you should be willing to confront or challenge. In my opinion, I think faithfulness, as we have worked through all of these fruits, I think it's the most underrated fruit of the spirit because it touches all the others. I have plenty of friends of mine, and and like I said, pastor friends of mine, who are walking around hurt, because people who said they would be there for them ultimately weren't. And, and you, I'm sure you know what this is like too. You don't have to be in ministry for this to be true. Where, where people who said they were with you now have left and lead you, lead, it just leaves you feeling rejected. And so it's not a big stretch to think that, well, no wonder so many people feel jaded and cynical And so because of that, faithfulness can honestly be challenging to possess because faithfulness comes from a place of, again, loyalty and courage. I love how the author of Hebrews puts this. Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is a confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. And I really appreciate that perspective because As followers of the way of Jesus, it is vital to your spiritual success that, and this this may not go over so well on you, but let's give it a try. It is so important to your spiritual success that you not just believe in God, but that you are faithful to God. Let me talk about that for a second. Because I think you can believe in God, which is fine at best. It's fine. But it is something else entirely to be faithful to God. Because it's one thing to be married, but it is something else altogether to be faithful in your marriage. See, faithfulness is an essential fruit of the Spirit because it's faithfulness to God that really changes how we live. Think of marriage, again, whether you have one or not, you can understand marriage is very important. And if you are married, you live your life with your spouse in mind. You aren't going out to bars or clubs to meet anyone. You're not scrolling Tinder or Hinge or any other uh, app like that. You're, you're not looking at things on your phone or computer that will force you to delete your browsing history later. If you're faithful in your marriage, you actually do almost everything with your marriage in mind, whether you are cognizant of it Or not. Your faithfulness to your person, it shapes you, it changes you, and it defines aspects of your life. That is the power of faithfulness. You are my ride or die. I am with you. I may not like you all the time, but I love you and we are in this together. Or if you don't like that example, some of us, we are really protective of our diet, of our exercise regimen, and our health. So what do you do? you remain faithful to your healthy lifestyle. You're constantly making choices with it in mind. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of Taco Bell, I will fear no carb. That is how we live our life. Okay, maybe that's just for one of you, uh, but nonetheless, when it comes to God, faithfulness actually acts much the same because if you are faithful to God, again, not just believe in God, if you are faithful to God, then you do most things with God in mind, whether you're aware of it or not. Now, of course we are imperfect, okay? So take a deep breath. Let's let's go ahead and take another deep breath this morning. You are imperfect, but I would dare say our marriages are also imperfect at times. So to remain faithful, we communicate, we confess sin, we forgive sin, we work on ourselves, and in doing so, we remain faithful. And, and to kind of sum up this one point, here, here it is for you. You should see it on the screen. Faithfulness is an internal decision with external consequences. Now, growing up, I always heard that C word, consequences, in the negative, but that's not how we should always approach it because there are good consequences and there are bad consequences. And so whether those consequences are good or bad is completely and totally up to us. A couple of examples from the Bible I wanna talk about today uh, comes from the Old Testament, but they have two very, very different lessons. And I think we will all see ourselves in one or these, or, or both of these stories. So first up, we have the story of Abraham. As Abraham and his wife Sarah, they struggled to trust God. If you've never heard the story before, that is really what it comes down to. They struggled to trust God. For example, back when they were Abram and Sarai, they, they had to wait years for God to fulfill his promise that they would eventually have a son. But because they lacked faith, Sarai insisted upon Abram that he should sleep with her maid, Hagar. And Abram, it's not recorded in scripture, he didn't fight her on it. And he obliged. And they ended up giving birth to a son named Ishmael. And Abram was 86 at that point. The fallout from this, though, was nothing short of catastrophic. There was so much pain and conflict because these two refused to remain faithful to the promise that God had given them. Now, however, even after all of this, when Abraham and Sarah put their faith in God, Sarah was then able to give birth to Isaac despite being past childbearing age. They were in their early 100s. Ultimately, the story of Abraham shows that God blesses those who are faithful to him. Even when we try to mess it all up. Anyone else to mess up, screw up? Anyone else? Me? I got a couple of honest people. I got some honest people up in here. Yes, yes. I got two hands over there. Man, yeah. Because we like to mess things up, don't we? You know, we're, we're, we're messed up people. But God, listen to this though. But God is still faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. And so that is one story of when we lack trust and we lack faithfulness to God. He is still faithful to us. And so maybe you are sitting here this morning, you are with us today, and you are thinking, man, I have done some things that are unforgivable, or I used to be on fire for God, now I'm not, and now I feel guilty. Listen, God is still faithful to you. He still loves you. He desires to forgive you. He doesn't want you to, to live in the bondage of that pain and, and, and the guilt and sin. He just wants to free you, okay? Because that's what he did for Abraham and Sarah and he gave them new names. So also, if you hate your name, you know, God will rename you, okay? If, if, if it goes sideways enough, he'll rename you. But that's, that's what it's like. When we break our faithfulness to God, he is still good. Now, what about remaining faithful in tough times. We're gonna gonna kind of transition a little bit. What about the people who remain faithful in tough times? And you know what? They didn't do anything wrong. Obviously, Abraham and Sarah did something wrong, right? But what about the people who go through trials and hardships and they did nothing wrong? I mean, you know the cliche, why do bad things happen to good people? Theological implications aside, why do bad things happen to faithful followers of Jesus? I mean, shouldn't God show them favor? Shouldn't that be the evidence that this is the one true faith? It's one thing if it's our fault, again, like Abraham and Sarah, and we just own it like they do. But again, what if we don't do anything wrong and trouble still finds us? Am I allowed to shake my fists toward the sky and tell God he didn't keep up his end of the, of, of, of the bargain? This scenario of doing no wrong, but paying a huge price, it actually happens in the Bible. And, and there's a man named Joseph who we meet in Genesis 37. He is young and is totally vilified simply for having dreams. And so I'm just going to hit some highlights on his life here. Here is the life of Joseph as an example. In Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11, Joseph is young and he has dreams. And he tells his siblings about it. He talks to his brothers about this and how even the stars and the moon will bow before him. That's not a good idea, Joseph. Full full stop. Not a good idea to do it but he still didn't do anything necessarily wrong or sinful. He was just telling him about a dream he had. The brothers grow in jealousy and that turned into action and the brothers, they sold Joseph into slavery to a traveling caravan of Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Then he was sold again to a man named Potiphar who was captain of Pharaoh's guard. And so in Genesis 37, Verses 18 to 28, you will see where he is sold into slavery, not once, but twice. And again, this is wild to me. As Joseph, he did not sin against his brothers. He did not come for them and tell them that they were not worthy and that somehow he was worthier. Is that a word? I don't know. Worthier. But I do believe Joseph, he definitely lacked tact. We can all agree to that. okay? We all have people that we love who lacked tact, that, I think that's, that's him, but that's not sin. And his father, who obviously preferred him over his other siblings, which is wrong. But again, that's not on Joseph. That's on his father, Jacob. Uh, and yet, the reward for being faithful to God, Joseph is being faithful to God. The reward is slavery. And you think, your family is really messed up. I don't know, I don't know. I just read the Bible and I'm, it kind of puts my life into perspective, like, okay, okay. Because it would be understandable if Joseph's faith faltered, right? It, it would be totally understandable. He didn't do anything wrong and he, yet he sold into slavery. I mean, I actually talked to people who, you know, they're wrestling with their faith and, and, and they're questioning different things And it's over a lot less than being sold into slavery. But even through traumatic betrayal, scripture tells us that Joseph remained faithful to God. And so what happens now? Joseph has proven, no, God, he and I, I'm following him, he's mine, you know, and I'm his, I'm remaining faithful. Well, in Genesis 39, Joseph eventually finds prominence, influence and respect. And so the Lord remains with Joseph because he is faithful to us. And so as Joseph is faithful in return, Joseph's hard work and trustworthiness gains him a lot of status and he's put in charge of everything in Potiphar's household. Uh, Joseph, for, for what you could say, he's back on top, okay? And life is really good for a while and let's be honest, it is easy to remain faithful when life is good. It is so easy to be faithful to God, when you can look around your life and say, look at all the blessings in my life. Just as a caveat, that is really how prosperity theology goes. But what prosperity theology neglects to tell you is that our broken world is, well, broken. And you can remain faithful to God and do nothing wrong, but trouble will still find you anyway. Life happens, y'all. And, and, and we must be on guard, but sometimes it is simply beyond your control. So what happens next for Joseph? The Bible says that he was young, handsome, and good-looking. Uh, a verse I claim every day, okay, in faith. Still working on it, obviously, but the Bible says that was Joseph. Young, handsome, good-looking. And Potiphar's wife takes notice, and she eventually comes knocking. And she says, come lie with me. And this happens a few times, but Joseph remains faithful to God and he honors Potiphar and he declines her over and over and over. And in verse nine, he even says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Y'all like Joseph is the epitome of this fruit, is he not? Just faithful over and over. But then something beyond his control happens. As one day, They are alone in the house. She grabs him by the cloak. She draws him in, and he turns and runs. But as he turns and runs, the cloak is left behind in her hand, figuring he's probably now going to say something to Potiphar. She beats him to Potiphar and falsely accuses Joseph of rape. And so in Genesis 39, Joseph is imprisoned, and he is falsely accused and you can almost hear the doubters now. See, how could God be good when he lets bad things happen to faithful people? It is always funny to me how people will get offended on behalf of other people who aren't offended at all and it's their own situation. Uh, this past week again at the Vineyard Conference, our national director Jay Pathick, and his wife Uh, preached and they did a great job on on, uh, co-teach and they highlighted different points of Joseph's life. And uh, Jay said this, you'll see this on the screen. Jay said, character is proven over time and God can use false claims against us to make us unoffendable. Think about this for a second. Joseph is trapped. He's done nothing wrong. And again, they say everyone's innocent in prison. Joseph is truly there. I've done nothing wrong. And yet he's imprisoned. He's he's been faithful to God. And again, it's human to even consider, man, why don't you curse God and die already, dude? Like you are trying to live a faithful life. And while he is in prison though, as he remains faithful to God, God had gifted him with dream interpretation. And while he's talking to others in jail, he's able to help interpret their dreams and they're accurate. And Joseph, I mean, understandably so, as these other people in jail with him get out of jail, he says, don't forget me. Don't forget what I did for you. It'd be really cool if you wouldn't forget me. And then we have Genesis 40, where Joseph is forgotten. He's totally forgotten about, and he is stuck with himself. And yet, for some reason and somehow, Joseph remains faithful. I kind of can't believe it when I put myself in his shoes. The Bible says during this time, though, again, God honored Joseph. Through some previous encounters, Joseph is actually finally remembered a couple of years later by someone he had been in jail with when the pharaoh of Egypt, okay, think of president of the United States, okay? When the pharaoh of Egypt, the the highest position, begins having nightmares. And they bring Joseph out of jail. He interprets the dreams and he does so accurately. And pharaoh recognizes that Joseph's God-given ability is real and he prompts Him and 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 he promotes him to the chief administrator of of Egypt. I don't know what that would be today. Maybe the joint chiefs of staff or something. Someone else can look that up for me. But like he is all of a sudden out of jail. And he's in Pharaoh's inner circle. Genesis forty-one, where Joseph becomes second in command in Egypt. And then the the story does move on again. I'm just hitting these highlights. Genesis 42, 43, 44, and 45. This is when Joseph's family, remember them? Yeah, like four or five traumas ago. Yeah, so your past will always come back. Well, here they are. Joseph's family comes to Egypt and they have no idea that Joseph is alive. They're in desperate need and it has to do with, Pharaoh's dreams and famine, and you can read that on your own. But then his brother's being shocked that Joseph is still alive. Joseph, I can't believe this. The audacity of Joseph. Hold him accountable, man. Teach them a lesson, man. Send them to jail, dude. Joseph tells them, don't feel guilty because God remained faithful to me. What kind of faith is that? What kind of forgiveness is that? What kind of love is that? That's the love of God lived out. That's the love of God embodied. That's the love of God experienced. Where Joseph is able to make sense of his entire life, believing God was faithful to him through it all. Joseph forgives his family almost immediately. And Abraham and Sarah proved... That their lack of faith in God was real, but God was still faithful to them. So no matter where you're at today, if you're like, "I've, I've always got this right, and I have always been faithful to God, I doubt it. But, you know, if that's where you're at, okay, then look at the story of Joseph. And look how God worked all things for his glory. Now, if you are probably the rest of us, we are like Abraham and Sarah. And we tried to figure out life on our own terms. We tried to do faith by the way we think we should do it. And even when we mess up, God is still faithful to us and draws us back to his love. And so while Abraham and Sarah, they proved to ultimately lack faith in God, he was still faithful to them. And Joseph, he's the opposite case here, because he proved his faith to God over and over and over. He was mistreated, he was imprisoned, he was falsely accused, he was forgotten, and yet he remained faithful to God. And in the end, God honored him and used him to do great things, which ultimately saved his family, saved their lineage. What does all this come down to? Faithfulness. Talking the talk, that's one thing, but walking the walk is where it counts, that's where it actually matters. And I think faithfulness to me, is the most underrated fruit in Galatians 5 because it is so foundational to the rest. Is love really love if you're not faithful? Can you really be joyful if you're not faithful? We can do this with all of them. I don't know. Faithfulness is the foundation to seeing the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. So let's wrap up right now. Um, as, as, I, as I hope to preach somebody today, because I, I understand how hard faith can get sometimes, how our feelings won't match our words, how we can slowly begin to drift into despair. It is so real. We live in a broken world, but how you respond to adversity is an accurate assessment of where your faith is. We shouldn't grade our faith when life is good because we all get A's, right? We all, it's that, that's the biggest curve, right? But what about when you don't have money to cover your next bill? When people you trusted break your trust, when people falsely accuse you, how, how you respond to adversity will inform how strong your faith is. I've heard this, this phrase many times. I heard it years ago for the first time. And, and honestly, when I say it, people hate it. Uh, I, 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 I wrestle with it too, and I get why. But, but I say it anyway because it's a bit of a cliche, but more than that, I think it reveals our faithfulness. But it's very simple. And if you're the note taker, write this down. Adversity is an obstacle or an opportunity. How you respond to adversity is completely and totally on you. How you interpret your life is on you. But to the cynic today, where nothing is good and everything is a tragedy and life is nothing but obstacles, I am convinced that a little bit of faithfulness would unlock so much in your life right now. Imagine If David, everyone knows this story, imagine if David were a cynic on his way out to Goliath. Goliath, he's just too big to beat. I can't take that down. But no, he's not too big to beat. With faith, David ran out into that field and he decided in his heart, Goliath is too big to miss. It's totally different. And how you respond to adversity is gonna be an obstacle or it's an opportunity. It's too big to to defeat or it's too big not to miss. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying excuses aren't real, they are. Because some days you just don't have it. Some days you're just tired, you didn't sleep well. Some days your kids are sick. Sometimes that's worse than you being sick. Life gets hard. You know, I got a lot on my mind. I feel anxious today. I don't know how I feel about this friendship or this relationship. I thought I'd be further along in my life. It's all real. And I'm not saying deny yourself how you feel. I'm saying feel those. You you need to. But what I am saying is what I felt the Lord tell me this past week. It was was like a 3 a.m. on Monday morning. I started to kind of feel sorry for myself about something because I wasn't sleeping well. And I just kind of began to list out the excuses and I started to spiral a little bit. You know, I chalked it up to at that point being 3.30 in the morning and I'm just not well rested and I'm awake and and I'm restless. But this question came to mind and I felt the Lord remind me of something. And it was just this phrase that I didn't even have the the words for until my wife found me later. Uh, But I just thought with all those things stacked up against me, what if I could still push through And what if I could still do what I was committed to doing? What if God could still pull this off with all my doubts, all my insecurity, with all my grief? What if God could still do this? And so the question is this. You should see this on the screen. The question is this. Can you stay true to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in is gone? Because motivation will get you started, but it's faithfulness that will get you across the finish line. We must stop looking around for another excuse to just not show up, to not be true to our word, to just not do it. We have to remember the reason we committed in the first place, because some days I just don't have it. Some days you just don't have it. But faithfulness does not care how you feel. Faithfulness is a small decision made yesterday that continues to reap a larger reward today. Faithfulness, as it turns out, it gives structure to all these other fruits. And we are told that in our relationship with God, that if it is as it should be on the day we meet God face to face, He says what to us? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't just believe in God. That's like such a cliche. It's it's a throwaway line. So many people just believe in God. Who are you when your back is against the wall and you could easily just make this excuse or, or, or say this or do that? I think we need the Holy Spirit to get us there today.